Bibles or the words should be on the screen is Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and Cephas, John, Alexandria, and others of the high priestly family. They had Peter and John brought before them, began to question them, by what power and by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, that you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the men who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, What is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the high priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? Why and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his, you know, his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you appointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants 
to speak your word with a great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. May we today receive the message that the Lord has for us. Thanks so much, Shane. And it is a great delight uh, to be with you for a few weeks. I'm, uh, there's a number of you I haven't met before, and I do hope that we'll have the chance just to connect uh, these next uh, couple of weeks while we're here. Uh, can I just let you know that um, I think the custom here is to have uh, Q&A after the sermon. So as we uh, go through this passage, there might be things I say and you think, that's got to be wrong. Feel free to you know, sort of come back at me and say that or uh, engage or issues you want to explore. We're a family of God's people. We, we learn together. So that's, uh, that's the reason for Q&A, the chance to just uh, reflect on that stuff together. And uh, there's an outline in the leaflet that may or may not be of use to you, but if it is, that's great. Let me pray and let's uh, tuck in. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who uh, isn't hiding in a corner. You speak, you make yourself clear to us. And Father, we do pray that as we engage this part of your word today, we'll hear you speaking clearly to us uh, with uh, clarity, uh, but also that we might understand the implications for us as we live in your world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I say, I think objectively, Christians should be one of the most popular groups in society. Okay? Uh, now, I know, we're all very self-aware. We know that we've got flaws. We know we're sinful. We know at times we're, we're quite rightly accused of hypocrisy and all sorts of other things. But, but you know, when you think about what Christians stand for, it should make us really popular. You know, it wasn't it Jesus who said, love your neighbour as yourself. And Christians are highly committed to that conviction that we should love the people around us. And my experience in Christian community is that people generally do that. Uh, Christians are generous. Uh, when surveys are done, uh, Christians overall give more to charitable institutions than people who aren't Christians. Right? There's a generosity when it comes to their resources. There's uh, the commitment to integrity. We think telling the truth is important. That's a good value for relationships. When it comes to Christian agencies that do social work, uh, people say that in our nation alone, if the Christians stepped out of that space, the whole social care fabric of our society would just fall to the ground because of the commitment and input of resources that believers put into that area. Christians are committed to justice, you know, to hard work, to the importance of family units, to wanting to build community. I mean, what's not to like? <laughs> uh, those are all incredibly positive things. And I reckon that anyone who was smart would have Christians at the top of their friendship list. You know, like, uh, you know, wouldn't you think that was the case? But it's not the case. It's not the case. So why, why is that? When we turn to Acts chapter 4, I think we get a wonderful insight into why that's not the case. So let's, uh, let's jump into it. Let's see if we can explore this one together. Uh, as we see, beginning of Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John, they're arrested for, for uh, healing a cripple. It's interesting, by the time you get to the end of Acts chapter 3, God's people, let me say, are incredibly popular. 
right? Outstandingly popular. Uh, you go to Acts 2.41, and we discover 3,000 believe. The beginning of Acts chapter 4, there's at least another 2,000 that are at it. They're gaining momentum, you know, as they go forward. In Acts chapter 2.47, we're told that the believers were enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord had added to their number daily those who were being saved. These guys are on a roll, right? No question about it. And then, last week you saw in Acts chapter 3, uh, we see a crippled man is healed and it's like bees to a honeypot. Everyone comes running. And then we get to the start of Acts chapter 4 and you think, oh, we get this weird turn, right? Acts chapter 4 verse 3. Peter and John are arrested and thrown in jail overnight. What's going on here? It's not the amazing act of power and kindness that gets them arrested. It's what they say. It's what they say. See, after the, um, the crippled man is healed, people come running from everywhere. Uh, what do you reckon you'd do if you were in uh, Peter's shoes? Right? The crowd's coming near. You've just done this extraordinary miracle. I, I reckon it would have been tempting for, for Peter to just soak up a bit of the limelight for a while, you know? And everyone's coming in there saying, what happened? How did this guy we've known for 40 years suddenly get up and start jumping up and down, you know? And it would have been easy to say, well, you know, we're going up to the temple to pray and we saw this crippled guy. I said, we couldn't do that, but, you know, we did this, did this, did healed, boom, now he's jumping up and down, you know? And, uh, like, don't you reckon it would have been easy just to uh, spend time like that? But Peter doesn't do it. He says... No, 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 it's not me, it's Jesus. Remember Jesus? You killed him. But God raised him from the dead, and now you need to repent and to put your trust in him. Friends, that is the reason why they're arrested, because of what they say. And you can pick it up when you go back to the start of Acts chapter 4. Verse 1, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, to give them the keys to the city. They'd just done an amazing... No. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, at this point, uh, the Sadducees have been mentioned. There is a, a group that are trying to re retain political status with the Roman Empire, the Roman people who are ruling. And also there's just, just that wrinkle in terms of their theological position. They don't, they're not convinced about the resurrection of the dead or the afterlife. I won't go into the details of that, but you, you've got to know that they've got a, there's an angle they've got here that they're trying to preserve and to hold on to. But they're wanting to protect their place. Jesus is the one who said, persecution is to be expected if you're a follower of his. Remember John 15, verse 20? Jesus says, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul the Apostle says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? Will be persecuted. And as we dip in here into Acts chapter 4, I think we see why this message, these words why they are so offensive, why they get up people's noses so much. But also what we see here is a, 
a wonderful way for how we respond in the face of persecution. Wonderful insight. So let, let's keep pressing, pressing through it. Why does the gospel, why does it cause uh, such a strong reaction? I'm particularly looking at verses 5 to 12 of this passage. Why, why, does it, why did it cause such a strong reaction 2,000 years ago? Why does it cause such a strong reaction today? I want you to remember that uh, at this point, Peter is facing the same people who arrested and were responsible for Jesus being tried and killed. They're the people who are interrogating Peter and John at this point. And they say to them, verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, remember when the name comes up here, we're talking about not just a name, Paul. (laughs) We're talking about everything that goes with the name. You know, when you, you remember those old movies where you have the cops chasing after criminals and they say, in the name of the law, stop. Is when you think about it, it makes no sense at all, really. Uh, and then what does it mean, in the name of the law? It's because of everything the law represents, you should stop, okay? When it says in the name of Jesus, it's everything that is represented by who Jesus is and what he has done. It's, it's God's sort of imprimatur on him. Well, what power... Uh, and what name do you do this? Um, that's the question that's raised. And then verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, responds. Interesting, um, in this chapter, chapter 4, it's uh, by the end of the chapter, it's three times Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, remember um, Ephesians 5 talks about going on, going on being filled with the Spirit. It's a pattern for the apostles, pattern for every Christian. Right? Always go on being filled with the Spirit. Not a one-off thing, lots of things. Second time here, later in the chapter, third time. Peter then responds, filled with the Holy Spirit, rulers and elders of the people, if we've been called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are now being asked how he was healed, right, that's the question. And at that point you think, Peter knows that's not why he's been arrested. Come on, you know, that, that, he does not. But you sort of think, maybe it would have been smart to stop there, you know, to let them sort of stew. Because there's the guy who's been healed standing there while he's saying this, jumping up and down, and everyone knows who he is. Right? That probably would have been enough. Peter, he moves to the main issue. And he says that he... And what he's about to say, he knows, is going to get him into a world of trouble. Right? If he'd been more subtle... More sort of shrewd, he could have avoided it. He doesn't. Jump straight in. Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Then in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. Friends, that message is confronting now just like it was confronting then. That's the reality. You killed Jesus. The religious rulers and uh, the people uh, who opposed Jesus, they killed God's son. And Peter says to the guys who've got all the power over him, that was you. Uh-huh. It's very subtle, not. Uh, you know, it's just right there. I mean, who likes being told they're sinful? Really? Who likes being told they're on the wrong side of God and they're accountable for that? That's what Peter is doing at this point. 
You've treated God badly. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. That's the message today, just like it was then. And he goes on, God raised him from the dead. Again, the point of theology that the Sadducees disputed, uh, they didn't like the idea of Jesus running their neat theological categories. Uh, this wasn't what they were after. But, you know, it's more to, to it than that. Uh, there's more that lies behind this. See, the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead proves that he is God's king. He is the one who rules over eternity. He is the one who rules over life and death. He has the power to heal a cripple. He has power over everything. And once you're confronted with this all-powerful Jesus, you need to bow the knee before him. That message, totally clear as Peter speaks it to these religious rulers who don't think they have to bow before anyone. But that's what he's saying. Friends, that is exactly the same message today. As if Jesus is who the Apostle Peter says, the one who's been raised from the dead, there is no person on this planet who shouldn't rightly bend the knee before him and acknowledge that he is the ruler over all time, over all things, including life and death and eternity of the Heavenly Father. That's who Jesus is. And Peter just states it, puts it out there. It's interesting, isn't it? We live in a culture where uh, we don't like it when God tells us who he is. We don't like it when God tells us what that means for our life. Uh, we live in a country, in a culture, where we love being autonomous and self-ruling. And this message says it's no longer an option. You don't get to self-rule. Jesus, God's anointed king, he's the ruler. Then he goes on. Uh, salvation is exclusively in Jesus. You want to offend the maximum number of people at a social event? Just say this. <laughs> there is no one else, no other name uh, that you can rely upon that provides salvation and relationship with God. For, I think in our culture, there's few things we're allowed to say as believers, but this is one of them. This is one of them. You cannot say that it is only through Jesus that you can have relationship with God. That just really will get you into a world of trouble. So we live in a culture that says, look, you just choose for yourself which way works for you and what makes you feel authentic as a person. That's, yeah, every option's a good option. Yeah. Peter says, no, that is not the case. There is one God, one means of salvation. That is Jesus. And everything else is bogus. Our society says to that message, that is so narrow and intolerant. We need to have any option we choose. Do you know the right response? Is to say, thank you to God that he actually has provided one way of getting back to him rather than none. It's his mercy. He's actually provided a way back to himself through Jesus. And we should just be extraordinarily thankful.
though I get it in our culture, this is, this is like lighting a fuse to the biggest bomb you can possibly find. That's the message. It was offensive then. Uh, it's still offensive today. Okay. So uh, what do we learn from the way Peter goes about this, apart from the fact that this is an ideal way to get yourself into a world of trouble? Right? <laughs> because uh, you sort of go through this and you think, okay, you know, subtlety and... Uh, uh, nuance obviously doesn't seem to be showing forth here at this point. Well, let me ask, when, you, um, when you're in a situation where you're you know, getting a bit of flack or copying a bit of stick because you're a follower of Jesus and you're getting that sort of push back, what's your temptation for how you manage that space? You know, what do you tend to find? I think this is a personality test, really, in terms of how we respond when we're under pressure. And do you find yourself thinking when someone gets upset at what you're saying, you think, well, I, I must have just said it or done something wrong. Right? I think some of us sort of hit, hit the place like that. It must have just been some, something about the way I went about it. Or you might think, oh, if only I had handled the situation a bit differently, I could have avoided that awkwardness, you know, and you think about ways you could have expressed yourself better. And I, I'm not thinking it's not... Not the case, but, you know, we can tend to do that. Or maybe when you're in that situation, all you can think about is the fear of the loss of the relationship and the friendship and the way that might be damaged. And, and so when you're aware of that sort of problem arising, maybe your temptation is to just say, I'm just going to avoid this space completely. You know, if I can just not sort of identify with Jesus and people just see from my life, you know, in some way that I'm a follower, then... That'll be the best possible outcome in this situation. Or maybe when you're copying flack, you just feel a bit sorry for yourself. You know? It's just so unfair and unreasonable. So what do you do when the going gets tough? I want you to notice what Peter does is he is straightforward about Jesus. He is standing in front of a group of guys who just a few weeks earlier had orchestrated Jesus' death, Peter's friend. Right? Peter saw that happen. And I must admit, when I see Peter standing before these guys, I'm thinking, Peter, Peter, you need to be a little bit subtle. You know, <laughs> like, you know, uh, Peter and John, you know, tread lightly, boys. You know, just take care in this space. But it feels like Peter goes for the jugular. And I don't think it's because he's got low EQ. I don't think that's what's going on here. But I think he just wants to make sure that Jesus is front and centre. Because he knows that it's only if people that he's speaking to, if they believe in Jesus, then they can be saved. He knows that that's their only hope. Now, can I say, we don't want people to be put off because of our our abruptness or our insensitivity or the failure of our life to match up with what we preach. Don't hear me saying anything other than that. We don't want people to feel like we're self-righteous and always pointing the finger at people. You know, we don't want people to feel like we're, we're hypocrites. However, I wonder in our culture whether our temptation as believers is just to go a little vague and be a bit evasive 
about the gospel in Jesus when we're in complicated relational settings. I reckon we just need to be a bit more straightforward and own who we are. Second thing is, you see Peter's courageous obedience. These religious leaders, uh, they're obviously thrown by Peter and John because they're bold, articulate and straightforward. So, as you heard, they kick him out for a while and sort of say, well, what are we going to do now? (laughs) What's our approach uh, to this sort of situation? Then they bring them back in, not having been able to work out what they should do. And uh, verse 18, we read, they commanded them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, it's not just Jesus, it's everything to do with Jesus that they're talking about at this point. But isn't it a beautiful response from Peter and John? Verse 19. Uh, which is right in God's eyes? You know, to listen to you or to God? A oh, difficult question, you know. <laughs> Again, it's, it's just so straightforward. He says, you be the judges. But as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we've heard. We cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. Can I just say again, in the face of you know, peer pressure, when the, the group is against you in a context, when you're in a minority, whether it's at work or in a family setting or uh, in social contexts or sporting events or at the bowls club or wherever it happens to be, uh, I think it's very easy just to back down. Just go a bit quieter, you know, live to fight another day. Uh, that's what happens. But Peter and John, what they do is they side with God. That's what they do. Friends, we're not not banned uh, from speaking about Jesus, mostly, yet. Uh, Not yet. But there's subtle pressure on us not to. No question about that. Don't you love what they say? We cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. I reckon there are a few of us who are uh, naturally very gifted evangelists. There's a guy in the city who works on the staff team there. His name is Arthur Ang. And when people talk to me about Arthur, I say, he's the only guy I know that when he walks down North Terrace, you know, people seem to come up to him and say, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, so it almost feels like that with Arthur. People just love to talk to him about the gospel. I think in the time I've got to know Scott, I think Scott has a real gift of engaging in a straightforward way about evangelism and uh, you know, all, all that means for people, a real ability uh, to do that. There's no, no question. But I think for most of us uh, who are followers, uh, what we can do is speak about what we know God has done for us That's what we can speak about. Uh, The wonderful blessings and kindness and mercy and grace that we've been shown in the Lord Jesus Christ. All that he has done uh, to richly uh, bless us. And, you know, we're seeing that happen around the network regularly. Down in Victor Harbour a few weeks ago, there were two adults baptised. There's a guy down there called Shannon who got converted a few years ago. He works in a bakery and he got baptised a few years ago. 
Since then, what he's been doing is speaking to a few of his colleagues about the gospel. And they've started to explore that gospel. And they became believers. And just a couple of months ago, they got baptised down at the beach at Victor Harbour. He was just speaking about what God had done for him and people had come into the kingdom. Speak about what you know to be the case. That's what, that's what you're being asked to do. But I also want you to know, and I want to finish on this point, I want you to notice how they pray in the face of that opposition. You pick it up in verses 23 to 31. Peter and John, they're released. They go and they meet with other believers. In verse 24 we read, they raise their voices to God in prayer, and this is what they say. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. There is a great comfort and confidence living in this world knowing God has made and rules over absolutely everything. And of course, when you think about the context, they're saying our arrest and everything that goes with that, did that happen outside your sovereign hand, O Lord? No. We know you rule over all things and we're always secure no matter what is going on because we're in your hand. That's the point that they're making. Verses 23 to 28, they rehearse the sort of sinful rebellion against God in the Old Testament, quote from a psalm. It's sinful opposition that resulted in Jesus being killed. Herod and Pontius Pilate, they were agents in it. But notice their agency. Verse 28. Herod and Pontius Pilate only did, speaking to God, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. The execution of Jesus, accident? No, <laughs> totally under the hand of God. He rules. So can I ask, what do you do, what do you pray when people threaten you or oppose you or give you a hard time? What do you pray? Do you pray that God would remove the threat or the conflict or the tension or the persecution? It's not what they pray for. Notice what they pray for, verse 29. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats. It doesn't say get rid of the threats. He says, they're really saying, now, Lord, know the threats. We know this is happening. We, we leave this in your hands. You know about them. You've told us followers will be persecuted for following the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this is not out of the ordinary. We give it to you. That's what they're saying. But notice how they go on to pray. What do they pray for? Uh, all God's people gather together and this is their prayer. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Help us not to be shy. <coughs> Excuse me. Help us not to be shy about the gospel or about Jesus. And I want you to note how God answers. Verse 31. After they prayed, uh, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Third time for Peter. And spoke, his, and spoke the word of God boldly. Experts say that the thing that adults most fear in life is to have to speak in public. They say it's a 
terrifying experience for most people to be put in the spotlight like that. I think for many Christians, the most terrifying experience they can imagine is being asked to give account for the Lord Jesus Christ in a public setting. And I get it. It can be a scary thing. You not find your pulse rate lifting when you're in that sort of situation where you have opportunity to do it. But can I say if that's you, or actually even if you find it easy, it doesn't really matter, this is a great place to start. God, help me to speak your word boldly. Start there. God, help me to speak your word boldly. Do you think God might answer that prayer? Yeah, yeah, I think he will. So let me pray it for us all now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you as we get this insight into the early church. Uh, Father, we thank you for the transformation in guys like Peter and John. But that unfailing conviction that there's no life except in the name of Jesus, no hope, no future, and then their willingness to and put their money where their mouth is. Um, Father, we thank you for that. Uh, Father, we pray for ourselves that you and your kindness might help us to speak the word about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness. And Father, we know that as we pray that, you and your kindness will delight to answer that prayer so that Jesus might be lifted up in our midst. Amen.